Thank you for tuning in to our Bear Creek AG podcast. You are about to listen to our weekly Bible study with Pastor Tony. Thanks for joining in. All right, very good. Well, we're going to pick up in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians tonight. I think we're about week 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Yes, ma'am. And... Um, and we're going to jump right into it. I'm, I'm, we're going to review a little bit of what we talked about last week. Uh, but I want to jump into the scripture and through the scripture kind of review uh, what we discussed last week. Okay, everybody there? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. If you're not, say whoa. All right, we're still waiting on one. Come on, slowpoke. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 reads this way. This, then is how you ought to regard us. And here Paul is talking about him, Peter, Apollos. He says, you regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So just refresh our memories. What, what in chapter 3 did we, we discuss last week as Paul was addressing this church in Corinth? Anybody remember? <laughs> talking about maturity. Absolutely, Brother Carl. He's talking about how he wished that they were more mature what they were, but they weren't. They were still infants, so to speak. They use uh, Peter's terminology. Absolutely. And, and what, was, what, was they, what was one of the identifying factors of their immaturity? One foot in the world, one foot in, in the church or in the boat, okay. They, they were divided on something. They were, they've shown their lack of maturity on the fact that they were fussing. There's lack of unity. About who they related to, was it Paul? Absolutely. Who were they related to? And the reason why I like to review this is because we're reading this one chapter at a week. And sometimes it takes us two weeks to do a chapter. If you read it from start to finish, it would flow. And I'm just doing this so it flows better because he starts off with this then. Well, what is this then? Okay, well, this is how you, you, this is how you should look at leaders. What they were doing was they were idolizing their leaders. They were putting their leaders on a pedestal. And we're going to talk about leadership in a minute. All right? I'm going to say some things up front, and then we're going to come back and quantify them later. But he, he's saying, listen, this is not, you, you're, you're really, you're, you're, you're looking at things from the wrong perspective as you look at your leaders. And he even talked about, be careful, these leaders, he speaks to the folks as leaders, those who were causing the division. And he says, remember, be careful about how you build upon the foundation that I left you. The foundation is Christ, but we're going to find out in a minute, and we already know this, but he's going to refer to this. Paul is the father of this church. He's the one who founded this church. And, and so from that, he said, that's the foundation I laid. I, I lived with you over a year and a half, laying the foundation, discipling you, and these other who who and he's not really talking about Apollos necessarily or Peter here, although we know Paulus did spend some time when Peter when Paul had to leave. He's really talking about those who are causing the division. There's obviously some folks who have a have influence within the church that's causing division. And so he said, be careful of the materials that you lay on the foundation of what I've said, okay? He said, remember, he said, don't destroy the temple. We often use that term to talk about, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That's, Paul addresses that in a, later on. But in this case, he's talked about the temple being the body of Christ. And he said, be careful not to destroy the body of Christ. Be careful not to come in and destroy the body of Christ. He even went on to say in chapter 3 that those who do, God's going to destroy them, see. 
Because why? It's the bride of Christ. That's how much God reveres the body of Christ. And he says, your works will be revealed by fire. Okay, so with that context, that's kind of where Paul is going here. Now he instructs the people on how they should see those in leadership. How should they see them? As servants, and I use the word here, stewards. Okay, someone who's entrusted. God and Christ entrusted these leaders with something. So they're stewards of whatever God has entrusted them. In other words, they are representative of Jesus, who is the master. Now, in, in Hebrews, or in the, excuse me, in the Greek, there are several words uh, to describe a servant. And I think it's important we understand because it gives us a clear uh, picture of what Paul's saying. Because it gives the idea, yes, we are here to serve Christ. As a matter of fact, it says, Jesus, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. So we know leadership, as a leader, I'm here to serve you. But it's not that you lord over me. And this is kind of where Paul is talking. He's trying to get to a point where they understand it. And, and as we get through this chapter, you're going to see where he's going with it. But the word here is, is to describe a, a servant is a word which means, it literally means an under rower or an assistant. An under rower, as with oars, or an assistant. And, and it's, it's kind of a term, the, the word picture you could use is if you see a galley ship, and back then they had sails, but they also had oarsmen. And depending on big, how big the galley ship was, pretend whether you have two rows of oarsmen or one row of oarsmen that work both, uh, two or just one. And it's the idea that these servants are one of several, if not many, oarmen or assistants who help propel the ship. But they're not the pilot. The pilot guides the ship, but their labor helps propel the ship to wherever the destination is. Now that's very important when you look at that. Like I said, this, so he's saying here is the leadership are those who are helped propelling the church in Corinth. They're not, who's the pilot? Jesus, or we could say the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus' spirit, absolutely God. So he is the pilot. He's the one who's controlling the rudder or the, the wheel, depending on how big the ship is. And so these, these leaders are part of the rower. They're the ones who are working to propel the body of Christ. So in other words, it's not a position of the highest standards. It's not like, hey, I'm the pilot. I'm Jesus. He said, don't, don't put us up there with Christ. But yet it's not, not that he's trying to create hierarchy, but it's not that they're the lower the lowers either. See, it's, it's kind of that area of, it's an area of responsibility. Okay. Um, it's not a place of great prestige, but yet it's, it's a place of honor. It's not the lowliest position. He also used the word entrusted, which is a term used to describe a steward. I just said stewardship. Okay. And a steward is an individual that the master entrusts his affairs with. We know from the parable of the talents that the, the, the master was leaving and he left one, one talent, one two talents, and one five talents. And the whole idea was they didn't own the talents. It wasn't their talents. But they are responsible with what they do with those talents. See, And so with it, Paul is painting a very clear picture to this church in Corinth who's struggling with... The vision, probably, as we look at it, well, we're going to get to it based on pride. 
And part of that pride was, who do we follow? They were causing division. The issue really wasn't who they were following. They were using who, whoever may have led them or whoever discipled them to the Lord. They're using them as a way of bringing division, but it's really pride is the issue. And he gets to it eventually. Okay. Any questions, comments? Anything you want to add to that word picture that he draws for us? Absolutely. There's got to be unity. Yeah. Got to be unity as well, right? You can't. You got to get those oars in united, and you have to pull your own your own weight. Absolutely. Good. Good. Absolutely. Got to work to pull together. Absolutely. So as we look at this, as leaders, the leadership is to serve Christ by serving the body and steward the mysteries God has revealed. What are the mysteries God has revealed? What did, what did God reveal to these leaders, Paul, Peter, Apollos? The gospel, right? Absolutely. Christ is God. The truth, absolutely. Because they didn't have the written word, did they? No. So God revealed it. Matter of fact, Paul's writing a book that ends up being in the New Testament right here to this church to give us guidance. And so, yeah, absolutely. And so the mysteries is, is, is being the truth of the gospel. What, what would be the most important thing for a stu- servant or, and a steward? What would be the most important thing when it comes to the relationship with their master, with, their, with their, the one who oversees them, the one who put it within their hands to manage whatever it is they handed to them? Obedience, trust. Anybody else? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Yeah, it's right there, isn't it? He actually points it out, doesn't it? Faithful. All that's trust, uh, obedience. It comes, but trust and obedience comes down to faithfulness. When you really look at it from that perspective, leaders answer to Jesus, right? And when we answer to Jesus, what do we hear when we stand before him? We want to hear what? Well done, my good and faithful servant. See, that's, that's powerful. So don't look at the leader for who or what they, <clears throat> more than what they are. They're, they're not God. I am not God. I am not God. They are guides. They're trustees of the gospel. And, and, and this afternoon, I've got it written all over my, pa- my page here. The Lord led me to add to that. The eternal destiny of men and women hinge upon their believing the gospel heard from God's servants. That is so true right here. I'm going to say it again. The eternal destiny of men and women hinges upon their believing the gospel heard from God's servants. Servants or stewards. Absolutely. Sure. We're we're all should be discipling others, shouldn't we? Absolutely. 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 Yeah. That just kind of hit me between the eyes. When I I, and I know that because I say it in a tongue-in-cheek way. What souls are always in the balance. Always in the balance, and so we, we have to we have to embrace that. Verse 3, I care very, now listen to what he says. So he set the precedence of how they should look at him. And then he comes back and says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. 
Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden. This is referring back to what he said in chapter 3. Their works, their, their deeds, everything they build will be tried by fire, when, whether stay humble or find jewels and, and, and precious metals. Right? He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, first, let me say this. Paul did not say he didn't care if people judged him. He didn't say that there. He said what? I care very little, but he cares. The reason why I say that is because if you don't really care what people think about you, then you are either hard-hearted um, or you're lying, right? I mean, because let's face it, we all care what people think about us. We may care, some of us may care more than what others care, but there, there is. I want to make that very clear because... We should be interested in what people think about us. Not from a point of judgmental being judged, but just from the point of how we are able to express and share the gospel with people, if nothing else. But in this case, this is what Paul's saying. He says, I, I, I don't care. All right. Um, but we should, he says, I don't care very little. We should care because how did God create us? God created us to be loved and to love and to, and to be accepted, right? I mean, we want, who in here doesn't want to be accepted by anybody? Who in here really doesn't care what people think? We can say, some people don't care what they think, but there's somebody in your life you care what things. And so I'm just trying to point that out here. Uh, there's a God-given desire to be loved and to belong. Okay. Now, Paul points out he doesn't even judge himself. John? We go back to Paul when he said, I, I can't dwell on my past. Yeah. Very good. Very good, John. Absolutely. Very good. Brother Jim? I think a lot of times we get too hung up on what people say about us. And I don't think that we should care that much about what people say about us as much as what people think about us. Because what people say oftentimes can be hard because they don't agree with you mm -hmm. or they don't like what you said. But yet, Deep down inside, they know what you said is true, yeah. but they come out against you. Yeah. And, and what, what is the issue here Paul dealing with? He is being judged by these people. There's some people who don't like him. I mean, understand that. That's why he's, there's some things going on here, but they're trying to, they're trying to dissolve, not dissolve the church. They're trying to um, cause the church to, I won't even say split. They're trying to control the church, but they're trying to, they're trying to bring division by by uh, bringing these church leaders against each other, even though they're Paul and Apollos aren't arguing with each other, but they're, it says almost an attempt to bring them against each other, bringing the vision within the church. And I think that's what Paul's saying. I don't really care a whole lot about what you think about me. As you look at the rest of this chapter, you're going to see where he's going, because what he's going to end up going, and what matters is what God thinks about me. See, my point is, is though, you're right, Brother Jim, I, we... I, from my perspective, I, I'm, I'm concerned what people think about me because I, I, I want people to be open to hear the gospel. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely right. Because he's about to be harsh with people here, see. It's not that, I worry. it's not that I'm concerned about what people think of me and that's going to 
that's going to prevent me from being the pastor or speaking truth. That's not what I, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about you all are judging me this way, and he's going, you're judging me. You're going to find out, man. You're judging me because I've been imprisoned. You're judging me because I'm calling myself a servant. You're judging me because in your standards I'm poor. Corinth was a rich church, it was a rich area. To be a servant? No, no, only, you know, to, 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 to serve you? Only slaves serve, see. And so he's, he, there, there's this attitude of arrogance that this church has. And he's dealing with it and it's causing the division within the church as they're, they're fighting or they're, they're striving for power, for control, and direction. Uh, and there's some things that you're going to find out in chapter 5 that are not very nice that they're permitting. And he's got to deal with these. He has to deal with these things. And so he's still setting up this table for this. And like I said, by the time we get to this chapter, you're going to find out he can say, listen, I'm not a rower. He doesn't use that term. He is one of the rowers. But he says, I'm not just one of your guides. I'm, I'm your father. And he's, that's what he's trying to set up for them here. To, to help them to receive. He doesn't want them to be shameful of what, they, of what he's saying about his condition. He wants them to receive him regardless of his condition or what it looks like from their perspective as their spiritual father as he speaks in their life because he cares. He's not trying to bring disunity to the church, these people. He's trying to bring them together, see. And that, that's, where, that's where he's going. So he points out he doesn't judge himself. Is, there, is, is that a good thing or a bad thing not to judge yourself? Let's just talk about that for a minute. Let's, let's put this to practice here. Is it a good thing for you to judge yourself or, or not to judge yourself? What's, what's the dangers of judging yourself? Maybe that's a better way to put it. I, I think if uh, you should judge yourself to, to uh, figure out if you're serving Christ, if you're, if you're reading, reading in His Word, if you're seeking Him for answers, and and so therefore you judge your, you judge yourself, and then when you find the answers, you either make corrections or additions. Absolutely, brother. The key is what is the standard that you're judging yourself by. Yeah. Don't judge yourself by me. Don't judge yourself by anyone else. You judge yourself. This is the standard, right? This is what's going to judge all of us one day. When when if you're a Christian, you stand before Christ. Your salvation is not in, 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 in jeopardy, but he's now going to judge you by his word. Did you keep my word? Did you obey my commandments? Did you feed me when I was hungry? Did, you know, in other words, this is the standard by which, and, and that's important. Yes, Carl? We shouldn't worry about what other people will say about us. That's the most important thing. What, what does God think about me? Is he going to find me faithful and true? Absolutely. God has got you where he wants you. Okay. All right. Alex? Paul goes here just a minute. Follow me as I follow Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I think the key is the standard, and, there, and, and this is the reason why I say that. The dangers of judging yourself is that you can judge yourself too harshly, even if you're on the right standard. I'm going to be honest to you right now. Can I be very transparent with you? I am my worst critic. I'm harder. On Sundays that you, you probably think I couldn't preach myself out of a wet paper bag, that's, that's actually a compliment compared to probably how I feel about it, see. Or how I may handle a situation or, or I handle a project or, or deal with, with the hurting. You know, I am my, I, trust me, 
The other side of that is, in judging ourselves, if we're not careful about what standard we choose, we may be too light on ourselves. See? Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, and I guess it depends on how we approach the judging. I mean, because really what we're talking about testing, and we do get tested. God, right, we go through tests. But I'm, I'm, I'm talking about from the standard at that you judge yourself uh, by the standard, I guess. Brother Joey? We have to judge ourselves. That's the only way we can be accountable. Mm-hmm. We have to judge ourselves. Then we can know. Absolutely. And I agree. And that's what I'm saying. But it's got to be a, the standards is the key to it, though. Like Brother Ed said right here, if I, if, what am I judging myself by? If I'm judging myself by, uh, gosh, uh, somebody, else. somebody else. I don't even want to mention names. That is, is doesn't, and this isn't being judgmental, but you can tell by their actions, do not have a strong walk with God. It's evident. Uh, if I'm judging myself by them, man, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm doing great. If I judge myself by Pastor Ben, man, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm not going anywhere close to heaven, right? It's the standard. It is the standard. Yes, sir. The most common thing that I run across is people that judge yourself by somebody else in the church. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, and where Paul, where Paul goes with this is he, he basically, what he's really trying to say is when that day comes, remember chapter 3? Your, your works will be judged on that day. Talk about the day of judgment for believers. And so that's really where, he, that's where he's going to here. He's talking about the fact that let God be the one on that day who judges you, who judges me. He also recognizes that he does not stand in perfect state of justification or innocence just because of his conscience. Because his conscience was clear. He said, my conscience is clear. He says, I feel like I'm living for Christ. I feel like I'm doing everything I can to help you in these other churches. But he also makes a very point. That doesn't make me innocent. I think that's a very open statement to make. I mean, I think that's a very revealing statement about how Paul views himself. I don't think it's an arrogant statement. I think it's a very transparent statement. Yeah. Well... I think what he's saying is, is dealing and writing this letter. He he's saying that he 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 he. How how do I want to frame this? He he has a clear conscience of walking in obedience to God to write this letter to this church. That doesn't mean maybe he does everything perfectly. And I think that's what he's trying to say. I, I, can, I live with a clear conscience that I am living for Christ and doing all I can for His kingdom. But that doesn't make me innocent either. It doesn't mean I haven't failed or I haven't forgotten or I haven't laxed in some areas or, or, or not completed things maybe to where I needed to. Is this making sense? I, I mean, I don't want to agree. I, just, I, don't, I think when you look at the body of this letter, especially this chapter, he's just simply saying, look, I know I've got a clear conscience. Do you? Now, I know I'm not innocent. See? Because he's really about to get sarcastic with them. Is he trying to say that maybe when we judge others, we might be judging Christ? Yeah. Whoa. Well, yeah. 
I can see that. Yeah, judging the body. Yeah. See, Paul knew where his righteousness came from. It came from Jesus and not from his own personal life, even though he had a godly walk. And I think that's kind of what he's trying to point out here. In the end, he who judges me is the Lord. In the end, all that matters is what God has to say from, about me. And he will judge everyone, bring into light all of our work. That's what he's pointing out to them here. I know I'm not innocent. I got a clear conscience, though. Do you? Because our works one day, we're all going to stand before God. And we're going to find out whether we've been building with straw, hay, what have you been driven? Or precious stones and precious metals. At the end, the fire, when it, when it burns, we'll find out who built with what. Okay? Well, we just got through for the few, few, first few verses there, but it sets us up. Okay. Verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up or inflated or arrogant, prideful, up in, puffed up in being a, a follower of one of us over against the other. So in other words, he's talking about you've been, you've been putting us against each other here, okay? All right. Paul had said these things in the previous verses about himself and Apollos and even Peter for that matter, uh, to make a point. If he didn't command, if he didn't command, <laughs> I can get that word out. If he didn't condemn himself, then others shouldn't either. Okay? Okay? What his point is here is that um, he didn't glorify himself so no one else should glorify him. He was just a messenger. Apollos was just the messenger who were obeying the master. It's the message that should be exalted. And that's really what he's trying to point out here. Don't divide. Don't worry about who you're following. As long as who you're following is following Christ. For who makes you different from anyone else? So now he's, he's, he's asking some questions. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you, didn't, if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Okay? So... They were puffed up, they were pride, they had egos were inflated. So Paul asked them three very humbling questions. For who makes you different from anyone else? If there's any difference between us, it's because of what God has done in us, so there's no reason for pride. Right? There's no reason for pride. What do you have that you did not receive? Everything we have comes from God, so there's no reason to be prideful. Right? Don't compare yourselves, in other words. Don't be prideful. And if you didn't receive it, why do you boast as though you did not, right? If, if, if what you have spiritually is, is, gift, is a gift from God, why do you glory in it as if you, were, you, you did this on your own? This is your own accomplishment, see? There's no reason for this self-glorifying pride. Bring yourself down. Humble yourself. Because everything comes from God. You are uniquely who you are because God created you. You have differences. We have differences. And, and, and I don't mean differences as, as we differ, disagree, but we're different. We have different personalities, different likes, different gifts. All this. All right? So don't lift up. So Apollos was a better orator than, than Paul. And there's a plenty of evidence to prove that there, that's true if you look at the book of Acts. Right? It's okay. God made... Paulus that way. And that's what Paul is trying to bring out here to these Corinthians. Uh, this is a great scripture for us. It should prompt us to ask ourselves other questions in regard to our lives in Christ and to help us walk in humility with the Lord. 
That's what he's dealing with here. What was the very first sin? Pride. The very first sin in the Bible is pride. The fact that Eve and Adam, for that matter, thought that they could be like God. They considered it to be, yeah, I want to be like God. Absolutely. That's prideful. See, pride is the source, is the foundation for every sin. The fact that you do something you know you ought not do is pride. You think you can do it and get away with it. There's no problem with it. That's pride. Arrogance, right? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. He's saying, look, look at you. you, you you've, you're saying you're rich. You already have all you want. You, you act like you're already reigning. You act like you're in charge. And boy, do I wish you really were so I could reign with you. Kind of a sarcastic tone here, I feel like, with Paul. All right? He's using irony, sarcasm to make his point in these verses. What? The Corinthians were not truly uh, rich. They weren't, and, and, and they weren't truly reigning as kings any more than Paul was a fool or, 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 or was weak or despised. Right? He, he's making his point here. They were not true statements. At the end of the verse, Paul said it. This way, I, I wish that you were a king reigning on a throne so I could reign with you. If they were truly what they claimed to be, then the apostle could reign with them. He's saying, if you really were everything you said you were, we wouldn't have a problem here. See? He said, if you truly were all the things you're claiming to be, I would reign with you. We wouldn't have any problems here. But that's not who you are. For it seems to me that God has put us as apostles now. There again, he's using an analogy here. On display at the end of a procession. Like those condemned to die in, in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe. To angels as well as to human beings. Here, Paul is using an analogy. He's either using an analogy of, of the Colosseum. Um, where they would bring slaves in to die to fight, or he might be very well referring to a Roman general who has conquered his enemy when he comes in. He marches in right on the white horse. His army comes in with him behind them, all the loot that they've taken. And the last thing that comes in is the prisoners that are going to be put to death. And so Paul is saying, this is how you, you look at us. This is how you refer to by your disrespect, by your pride, by Pitting us against each other, this is how you view us. This, this ought not be so. Because they really weren't last in the sense of the kingdom of God. He was using sarcasm or irony to convict, to bring conviction upon the Corinthians. See? He said, you've, you've exalted yourself above everybody else. See? Any questions? I know I kind of went quick through that. These verses kind of went together. Any, any questions? Any comment? I, wanna, I don't want to confuse you or leave you behind. Like I said, sometimes we break it down verse by verse. It doesn't flow. But it, this, Paul, this, Paul is trying to bring them to a point where they can see themselves clearly for how they're acting so that he can now apply the anointing oil or the ointment of healing to them, correction to them, direction to them. See? He says in verse 10 through 13, We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. That's not true. He's being sarcastic, right? We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. With these contrasts, why? He's showing them how foolish they really are in their thinking. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless, right? We work hard with our own hands. 
he says. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. Now he's talking about how they have to act. He said, this is the way you act. You think you're all this stuff, and this is how you think about us, and this is how we have to respond to this, right? There is a price to pay for leadership. There's a price to pay for leadership. I think my battery just went dead. So you guys are just going to have to listen to me without a microphone. It's dead, brother. It's okay. All right? When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We, uh, we, we have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. And what he's, what he's pointing out here is that you think, he said, you guys in Corinth, you guys think you're up here and we're down here. But look at how you're living and look at how we're living. There's a contrast. There's a difference in this. Does that make sense? I want to help you understand what he's writing here. He said, I want, you to make, I want this to make sense uh, this is what you think. And this word that he uses here, where he talks about garbage, he talks about scum of the earth. Uh, some ancient Greeks had customs of sacrificing or casting certain worthless people into the sea during a time of plague or, or famine, right? While saying, be our, thank you, sir, by saying, be our scourging, as I think it says in the King James. The victims were called scrapings in the belief that they would wipe away the, the community's guilt. He's saying, you're treating us this way. You're, you're, you're slandering us. You're being unkind to us. You have made us your garbage. You've made us a scum. And hoping that, that this is going to help you. And Paul was saying that this was the way the Corinths had viewed him. They had forgotten that Paul was the one the Lord used to introduce them to Christ. He said, look at the way you're treating the leaders. Look at the way you're treating us. Look at what you're saying you are. That's not how, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm paraphrasing here, but that's not how Christ would be. You've heard the teachings of Christ. Look how, look how you're just treating us, those who Christ has put over you. And, and you claim you have all this, and yet you talk about us this way. Look at the difference here. See. Then he gets to where he's trying to go to. I'm writing this not to shame you. He says, I'm saying all this not to bring shame. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to harm you. That's, that's not what I'm doing. That's just like on Sunday mornings when I, when I preach or even on Wednesday nights when I'm teaching or, or I have a one-on-one with someone and there's got to be correction involved. The correction is never to shame or to hurt anybody. The, the correction is the same thing Paul's wanting to do for the church in Corinth, to warn you as my dear children. Why is he warning them of their pride? What's that, brother? Absolutely, pride. Pride is a sin. Pride is the root of all sin. And he's warning them. What, is God, what can God do with a prideful heart? Zilch. Make him present. Zilch. Right? Pride comes before destruction, doesn't it? Absolutely. That's why he's saying, I'm not doing this to hurt you. I'm not doing this to harm you. I'm not doing this to embarrass you. I'm not trying to bring shame on you. He says, I am being sarcastic if that's actually what Paul's trying to, to be. We kind of some read the scripture through our filters of our personality. I am sarcastic at times, I know, most of the times. But he's saying, I'm not trying to harm you by what I'm saying and how I'm saying it. He said, that's not the purpose of this. I want to warn you, as a father would, of the significant danger, spiritual danger that you're facing. See, that was the purpose of this. 
And he's saying all this to get their attention because he's about to deal with it. If you haven't flipped over and looked at chapter 5, he's about to deal with a case of incest. He's about to deal with lawsuits among believers. He's about to deal with sexual immorality. He's about to deal with uh, marriage life. He's about to deal with some things that these folks are having some issues with. That they're not following God in. That they're not being the example they need to be. Very immature people. He says, I know it hurts to call you immature, but I've got to be honest with you. I'm trying to spare your life. Brother Jim? Didn't the Corinthians come out of a pagan religion? Very pagan religion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Very pagan religion. Well, you're going to find most of your Greek, uh, these letters written to the, to the Gentile church. There's obviously Jews involved there, but, you know, outside of Hebrews and and Jerusalem, those areas, when you start getting outside of, of the region of Judea, you're going to find, uh, even Samaria, that fact, you're going to find that most of them are, are Gentile. So, yeah, dealing with and a lot of them had a lot of pagan uh, false religion that, uh, that they were having to come out of. But even the Jews in the temples, they got to the point that they had temple prostitutes. They, yeah, so it got, they were not the, a good example they were not. for the world. Absolutely, they were not. They were not at all. Verse 15, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Say that again. Get the picture of what he's trying to say there. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, I'm going to tell you what that term means in, 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 in Greek. You do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. The idea of this word guardian, it actually could be interpreted or translated instructor was the idea that, you know, girls didn't go to school back then. So I'm going to use the, the way it was. When boys went to school, that even during school, they, they may go from one place to another, that you would have a guardian or an instructor who would walk with the children. Okay? They were rowers. They were guardians, see, is what he's pointing out here. But they, they cared about the kids. But who would find the kids more valuable, a guardian or their father? Father. See, and that's why he's trying to point out here. See, he brings it. He brings it. His analogy, all all back together here. See, they're there to supervise. You have plenty of supervisors, right? You have plenty uh, to look at your conduct. But the guardian, although he did have legitimate authority, but certainly not like a father. Had, had concern, but definitely not like a father. See? See, there are those leaders who God placed. This is something I, I, I wrote this afternoon as I was going over my notes again. There are, those, uh, there are those leaders who God places in your life to guard you and instruct you, but they don't care for you as I do, Paul's saying, as your spiritual father. This is written to the church, not just to the leaders of that church. He's dealing with the leaders of that church. And it's almost in a way he's saying to the, to, the, to, the, to the church in general, those people who are causing disruption in the church, you know, okay, they're guardians in the sense that they're, they're leaders. You see them as leaders. You may be putting a little bit too much emphasis on them, on the wrong thing. You need to be mindful of them. They, they, they're saying things that make you think that they care for you 
And maybe, maybe in, in their innocence, they're doing what they think. I've seen people do what they thought was right, but it wasn't the right thing, if that makes sense. But he's saying, but listen, they, don't care. they really don't care for you like I do. If I, I'm writing this because I care. Not only that, he's about to say, I'm coming to you. Now he's about, now he's about to become daddy. Now he's, going, he's about to go from being daddy to father. There's a difference, right? I knew when my mom and daddy were serious with me about something, they didn't call me Tony, they called me Anthony. And they may call me by all three of my names, right? First, middle, and last name, right? Well, in a sense, that's kind of what Paul's about to do. You know, it's like, you know, right now I love you like a daddy, but I'm about to become your disciplinarian is what he's saying, okay? Paul had, yes, right, he's coming home. The, the chickens are coming home to roost, that's basically. Paul had a unique place of authority and leadership among the Christian church. And not only because he fathered the church itself in Corinth, but also because he was an apostle. He had a different position of authority. Verse 16, Therefore I urge, you, I urge you to imitate me, he says. For this reason I have sent you Timothy. So he's sending Timothy he probably, with the letter. I'm sending you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is, a, who is faithful to the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. There's a consistency here. So Paul's argument for, for unity among the uh, Corinthian believers, he rebuked them for being followers of man, and here he begs them to follow him. Was he contradicting himself? He says, don't be followers of men, but now he says, imitate me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Is he contradicting himself here? Let's talk about that. Follow my example. That's right. Because they didn't have the Bible back then, as I, made it, as, as I stated at the beginning of this. People learn by watching. In this case, Paul says, watch me. I'm your spiritual father. And this is what I'm teaching every church. And this is what I'm modeling for all the churches that I've planted. And Timothy is my protege. He's my son. He uses that intimate relationship as son. He said, I'm your father. You're my children. This is my son. He's one of you. I'm going to send you. And he's going to remind you of what I've already taught you that you have either forgotten or refused to walk in and what I've also taught every other church. There's a consistency here. It's not situational. He did. He did. Have, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. See? Paul always pointed people to faith in Christ and not to Paul himself. He's saying, follow me, but he's really not pointing at himself. As I follow Christ, see. He had some confidence that he was following Christ. He had an encounter with Christ. He had a prayer life. He had a prayer life. Paul had a prayer life. Find that in 2 Corinthians. He talks about that. He was expressing the same thought that Jesus did when he says, I do nothing of myself. Jesus says, I only do what I see my father do or what my father tells me. And so Paul has that same mentality or that's, that same genre of thought. Okay, Jesus Christ should always be your example. Always your example. But immature believers that have a hard time perceiving the Lord's leading, clearly, they need somebody physical in front of them. That's what Paul is doing here. They need discipleship. Paul says, you can't do it on your own. This is my second letter. I mean, it's his flock, right? It is his flock. He's already written one letter. This is his second letter, although it's 1 Corinthians. We know he, he refers to, he wrote a first letter. He's still dealing with problems. And even after Timothy, 
poor old Timothy thrown to the wolves. He's got to write another letter dealing with things, right? You're going to see a trend, though, how things have changed. They, they're still dealing with things, but there's a, there's a, they are maturing. They're, the things they're dealing with are changing in some ways. But he's saying, listen, you need somebody to help you that is more mature than the ones who are leading you right now. I'm sending you somebody. That's how valuable you are to me. Paul valued these believers because Paul took what he did very, very seriously. Verse 18, some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. <laughs> what do you think he's saying there? What, what is that? Come on, Tommy, what does that mean? Some of you become arrogant as though I'm not coming to you. You're talking big right now because I'm not there and you act as if I'm not coming. I find it interesting, well, this is a sidebar, I find it interesting what can be said about me when I'm not in the presence of the person, right? Or essentially what can be said on social media uh, with no accountability because the person, you know, that's kind of what he's talking about. He said, listen, you're, you're arrogant, right? As if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, what they're saying about me, but what power they have. Hmm. This is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of what? Power. Power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Wow. This church had a problem with Paul's apostle, with his authority as an apostle. I cannot pronounce that word. And so he, he's dealing with that. And he's saying, listen, there's a lot of talk going on. Let's see how you talk when I get there. But more importantly, let's see what kind of power you have in your life. Because I know what kind of power I have in my life. I have the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And how do I know that? It's because of the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit within my life. See? And that will tell you a lot about somebody if you're following them. Okay? I hear, I'm your leader. I'm your pastor. So I, I'm looking in a mirror right now, and by no means am I boasting and say that I, I have great demonstrations of the power of God in my life. I, there's so much more room for me to grow, so much more God can do in and through me. I know that. But any leader you fall, if there's no demonstration of the power, the wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, be careful following them. Amen. In the book called The Life and the Epistles of Paul by uh, uh, Coinbearer and Hawson, he, they said this, For mighty deeds, not empty words, are the tokens of God's kingdom. Mighty deeds, not words, are the token of God's kingdom. Amen? Paul says, I'm coming. I'm going to come see you. And we're going to see who has the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Amen. Any questions? Anything you want to add, John? I just think it um, sounded like Paul falling on his knees and being filled with the Holy Spirit and being bold with the Spirit as he's saying this. You know? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, Brother Gerald brought something up earlier about Paul, and sometimes he comes across arrogant. By no means do I mean to add to or take away. I, I mean, obviously, it just, I guess it's, it's how you, you view it, so I'm not saying I'm right and he's wrong. But I do know this. There's a lot of evidence that Paul was very bold. He stood before kings and proclaimed the, the gospel. Yeah, Paul told him to throw away people. 
There's no throw. You're right. He taught there's right. He's willing to go to all extremes to correct this church's path, to get them on the right path. Because why? The bigger picture is the kingdom of God. Amen. See? And that, and that's really it. And in this case, and I, and I, and I say this all the time, uh, we, the church, is God's model to the world of how the kingdom should operate. Not when we get to heaven, but here on earth. So there, there's things that have to be dealt with internally, and so that those, I, I've said this before, we have to ask ourselves a serious question here at Bear Creek at times. It's a good thing to evaluate ourselves, judge ourselves. We talked about the importance of that. Not too harshly, not too easily, but judge ourselves. We, I, asked, I, I have to evaluate this quite often. Why would God send us lost souls if we're not prepared for them? If they're not going to be loved, if they're not going to be accepted, if they're not going to be forgiven, if they're not going to be relationships built, if, they, if, they, if we're not creating an environment where they can meet God, find freedom, discover the purpose, and make a difference. Because it's not about getting people saved, it's about discipling people. But how, why would God, and we have to ask ourselves that sometimes. I think we've got a lot going for us. Great. We, but there again, we have to evaluate what can we improve upon. And there's some areas that we're trying to improve upon. One of that is smaller groups, so it's more relational. I mean, that's a big thing for people to come in. Some people aren't going to come in to a big group. Some people aren't going to be able to build relationships within a big group. See? It's, it's, a, it's about a place where people can, our mind, and I, and, I, and I know I keep, this is, I hound this and I beat this drum because this is really our vision for how we're going to do it. It's broad strokes, but Sunday mornings is the primary place outside of your relationship leading people to relationship with Christ outside the church. Inside the church, Sunday mornings is the place where most people are going to meet God that come, through, that come to this church. But they're not going to build relationships on Sunday. They can find freedom. I believe in deliverance. But reality, true freedom is only going to come with relationships, with accountability, with prayer, with encouragement. See, And when we do that, then we help them find out why God created them. I told you that statistic before. 80% of Christians today have no idea why God created them. I'm not talking general. What is my purpose? I know what my purpose is. God created me to be a pastor. I know that, to lead. That, that's a broad stroke, and it goes out. And I know we could go into other things, but I know that my role in the kingdom of God is that. A lot of people don't understand why God put them in this world, what their role is in the kingdom of God. So we had to help them. Because once they figure that out and they start making a difference, we've got them. Absolutely. Well, that is the co-mission. And the mission is the same for the church. It's just for every individual. Reach the lost and build disciples. The vision or how you do that or how God does that through you is different for every person. That is what I call the vision. For the church as a whole, this is our vision. How do we, how do we help people um, find freedom? It's in small groups. That's how we go about it. There's going to be some other small groups that we're going to start. We've got one, we're, we're going to eventually start one for addiction recovery and things like that. That's another way people find freedom because now we're going to be specific about certain things that can help them find freedom in those those areas because addiction is a big issue in our nation whether it's alcohol drugs uh pornography uh gambling food i'm kind of chasing a tangent there so but yeah 
but the most important thing is, is the mysteries that God has entrusted us with, the mystery of the gospel, and being a good steward and servant of that role that God has called every one of us to be to. See? When you look at the chapter as a whole, it, it does it, it make it I encourage you to go back and read it. Challenges, like I said, on this chapter was when we break it down verse by verse or a couple of verses, you, it's important that we look at the subject matter, but it's the overall thing that Paul's trying to bring this church to, and it's the reality of what's most important. Don't, don't idolize the leader. Don't idolize the apostle. Respect them. Yes, follow me as I follow Christ. They're just doing what they're supposed to be doing. Christ is the one who should be idolized, if we can use that term, right? And get off, get off your high horse, quit being arrogant because you're bringing division, you're hurting the body of Christ. Chapter 3, right? Your works will burn one day. We're going to find out what is, what is really the motive behind your heart, see? And if you bring harm to the body of Christ, the temple of God, God's going to take care of you. Amen? Yeah. Everybody has a commission, the great commission, absolutely. Absolutely. Unity. We all got to get rowing the same, right? Stroke! Stroke! Yeah. Well, we have some little ones waiting to come in. Let me pray a blessing over you. Father, thank you tonight uh, for the reading of your word, the discussion. Father, uh, God, I thank you, Lord, that uh, even in, in sometimes my inadequacy, Lord, of maybe uh, verbalizing the intent of what you wrote through the writer here, Father, you still work through me. And I thank you, God, that your word doesn't come back void. And I pray, Lord, you help us all, God, to reflect upon this study tonight. How can we apply it? Ask the question, Lord. We all must ask the question, how can we apply it? And I know one way, Lord, is that we all look at our pride level. Where, where is our pride meter at, God? And help us to, if we're going to judge, evaluate ourselves. To judge, evaluate ourselves by your standards, God, and not man's standards, Lord. Now be with us. Keep us safe tonight, Lord. Traveling mercies, Lord. I pray. Give us rest. God, those that we've been praying for, God, we're, we're trusting you with them. We know, Lord, they're in good hands. Every one of those needs, Lord, are in your hands, God, and you're a mighty God. And I praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining our podcast. Here at Bear Creek AG, our goal is to help others know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Have a great week.